Philippians chapter 5, we'd like to read responsibly verses 14 through 21. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 14, and I will read the succeeding even-numbered verses through verse 20. Would you read with me in unison, please, verses 15 through 21, the odd-numbered verses. Once again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, and reading responsively. For the love of Christ constraineth us, Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And may God have blessing the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, take these wonderful words of Scripture and speak to our hearts this morning, we pray. As always, Lord, if there be someone here not saved, Holy Spirit, do a work of grace in their heart and life that only you can do. Give them unction and understanding. May they be saved today, we pray. We pray blessed in the moments of the round thy word we ask, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles again and turn, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I suppose I've said this many times, and maybe it's not always true, but to me, this is one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, for sure. I suppose, and I don't know if this is, this is Marty Schott accurate, it maybe not be historic, or, but uh, I, I think that this is one of the top ten passages of Scripture, and all of Scripture, if I had to make a list, this would be in my top ten great verses, and we could preach a number of weeks of messages on these verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 14 through 21, but our text verse, this message was birthed, by the way, on Sunday night, last Sunday evening, when Brother Mike Patterson preached on, he preached on the, 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 on sin, on what it does to us, and so forth, and as he began to talk about sin, this verse popped out of my head, and I started writing down some notes, and you're the recipients of it this morning here. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it is our text verse. Let's read it together once again, all together in unison. Ready? For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of 
of God in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, lies the heart of the atonement. The heart of the atonement, the heart of substitution. For he, there's the sovereign, the one and only true God, hath made him, there's the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin, there's the switch. For us, there's the sinners who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that who knew no sin, there's the sinless one, the perfect one, the Lord Jesus, that we might be made, that's salvation, the righteousness of God, there's sanctification in him, there's the substitute, the substitute for our sin. The Bible says in verse number 17, another key verse of the passage, therefore if any man be in Christ, he's the what, help me out, new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Christ is our substitute. The atonement, the substitution for our death. I'm convinced that many people do not understand the, the pre preeminence of the substitution of Christ in regards to salvation. There is no salvation without this substitute. The atonement is not, that word atonement has the idea of at one mint, has the idea of bringing us, saving us again, or saving us delivering us. The atonement is not the saving of a life by mere assistance. In other words, Christ did not just help us in our salvation. Christ is our salvation. He didn't save us 99% of the way. We're not saved by grace and works. We're saved by grace alone, through his atonement, through his substitution. We're not Arminians. We don't believe that you can, you're saved by grace, but you have to keep your Salvation by works. That's a false doctrine. It's a falseism. It's evil. It's wicked. So the atonement that we're talking about is not mere assistance. Nor is this atonement that we're talking about to, in an attempt to save your life by mere risking of your life. There are many soldiers that have went off to battle, went off to war for their fellow soldiers, fellow comrades, and for their, their country. And they risked their lives. Some lost their lives in risking their lives. Many lost their lives. But they weren't intending to lose their life, but they, they risked and they lost. This atonement was not just a risk. This atonement was not just a mere assistance that the Lord would help us. Jesus, of course, is a soldier of all soldiers. But this atonement is the loss of one's life for another. Christ's life for our life. This atonement, Christ took the sinner's guilt, became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The song that I learned as a boy, I've quoted it many times. I love the song, and I have to always give the addendum that even though it's a beautiful song, it's got a lot of great message to it. There's a part of it that's unscriptural, but I still like it. <laughs> I'm referring to the song that says, I was guilty with nothing to say, and they were coming to take me away. But then a voice from heaven was heard that said, let him go, take me instead. And I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's son, took my place. It's a great song and a great half-truth, but the fact of the matter is we could have died for ourselves on the cross and it wouldn't have made an atonement. It wouldn't have been a substitution because we were guilty. We're sinners, 
Sin is exceedingly sinful. We need to preach more messages on the truth of sin. The world doesn't believe in sin any longer. This, this verse, this passage of scripture deals with this, the atonement, the substitution. What, what, what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never, I'll live my love for thee. I want to talk about the doctrine of substitution this morning here in way of introduction this morning. Spurgeon wrote these words, and hear me carefully. The whole pith, or the whole seed, the whole substance, and marrow of the religion of Christianity lies in the doctrine of substitution. And I hate not to, I hesitate not to affirm my conviction that a very large proportion of Christians are not Christians at all. For they do not understand the fundamental doctrine of the Christian creed. And alas, there are preachers who do not preach or even believe this cardinal truth. They speak of the blood of Christ in an indistinct kind of way and dissent upon the death of Christ in a hazy style of poetry. But they do not strike this nail on the head and lay it down that the way of salvation, as the way of salvation by, is by Christ becoming a substitute for guilty man. We want to deal with just three things in regards to the substitution this morning. I want you to ponder, first of all, the scope of the substitution. The scope of the, of the substitution. It starts in verse number 14 of our text. The Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth me. It doesn't say the fear of God constraineth me. It says the love of Christ constraineth me. Now, I could tell you this morning, get ready, live for God! I told you to get ready. Did you get ready for that? <laughs> I can tell you, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God, and it is. The Bible tells us that, and it is. Our God is a consuming fire. There's reverential fear, for, fear of God, and there should be a, a human fear. The Bible says that men will quake, and they'll, they'll fall there. They're asked to rocks to hide them from the, from the wrath of the Lamb. That day is coming. But people don't care much about the fear of God. People don't, when we talk about the wrath of God and the, and the judgment of God, for Christians, for some reason, that doesn't resonate as well as the love of Christ. See, the love of Christ constraineth me. We serve him out of love. The Bible says the love of Christ constraineth me because we thus judge, or we've determined, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Notice the Bible says that if one died for how many? For all. Notice the scope of the transgression. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and he, that's Jesus Christ, is the propitiation or the covering for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 10 goes a little bit further. It says these words, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. You see, Christ's blood was shed for all on Calvary's cross, but it, but it does not apply, to, but not all will apply it. It's not efficacious for all. You see, there were two thieves on the cross, only one accepted. We had, we had uh, years ago now, 30 years ago, in fact, I didn't know that Tony and Paula were going to be here this morning here. I knew they were going to be here tonight. I don't know if you were, were you in the service? We had been 25, 30 years ago. I preached a message, your life in a $10 bill. Were you there for that service? 
you don't, you, you don't, you weren't here, because you you remember this service. But I I I made a big deal for several weeks ahead. I said we're going to have a Sunday like you've never had before in your life. Something's going to happen that you've never gone to church ever and it's and uh, before and it's, it's never happened and probably never happened afterwards. And I got together with the deacons and what I did was I said, hey, give me ten dollars. I want ten dollars for every person that shows up for church. And I want to put it in an envelope. So we, we run about 60 people at that back in those days, in the early days of our church. And uh, I said, uh, so I got $1,000. I got $110 bills. We put them in security envelopes. Anybody here for that Sunday? My wife. Man, we're going way back. And I said, you be here on this Sunday. Something's going to happen on this Sunday that is never going to happen before. It never has happened before. Never, has, never will happen probably after. But uh, you come and you're going to, something's going to, great's going to happen. And so I had passed out all the envelopes to every man, woman, boy, and girl, all 65 of them. I was actually, this one Sunday I was praying for a small crowd. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we had about 65 people. I, was, I only had 100 envelopes. I didn't have enough for everybody. But we had enough for 100. And uh, back in those days we did some vanning. I, we could call it busing, but we used to have two, two vans. We brought people in from... Uh, that needed rides, and we brought some people from downtown Torrington and thereabouts and so forth. And and I remember we brought in this one guy. Uh, he was an adult man. We brought him into the on the bus. I didn't know during the service he was outside smoking. He never came into the service. So we had the service, and we had the. Uh, I passed out ten dollar bills to everybody, and I preached a message on your life in a ten dollar bill. How that some of you are going to take this ten dollar bill and you're going to squander it. You're going to just use it for fun or frivolity. Some of you are going to invest it. I talked about how our life is an investment and so forth. But the choice is up to you. And, uh, and of course, he came in after the service was all over. He found out what happened. He didn't get his $10 because he wasn't in the service. He came and asked me for the, for the $10. Too late. You weren't in the service. The, now, the fact of the matter is, we had enough money to be available to all. All 100 people, that was. 101, you've been out of luck. But the, the atonement was available for all when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary. One thief turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The Lord said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I believe had the other thief turned to him and said, Lord, remember me. The Lord would have remembered him as well. You see, there's a scope. One died for all. The, of our, the scope of our of this atonement, of this substitution. But then I want you to notice verses 15 to 20, and we'll have to do this quickly. I want you to notice the specifics in regards to the substitution, this substitution or this atonement. Verse 15, it says these words. And that he died. The Bible says, and that he died for all. That they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The specifics in regards to the, the atonement, the substitutionary death of Christ, the, there's a penalty or requirement of this, this atonement. Was, the requirement is death. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Moreover, I declare unto you, brethren, the gospel, which I preach unto you, which ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15 says this, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. 
The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Completely. It's alone. That's all, that's, that's the gospel in its totality. He died for our sins. It was required that he died, died for our sins. And the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse number 4, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. I saw on the internet the other day, did you see the lady that wants to live to be 200? Do you see that? Really. She's a billionaire. She looked like about 100 years old in the picture. And uh, she said, she basically, I didn't read the article, but I just wanted to call my attention. Wants to live to be 200. She figures with all the advancements and all the in medicine and so forth and all the money that she has, and if she lives right and pays attention to her doctors and so forth, that she could live to be 100. She could pay her way to, for another 100 years. But I got news for you. Whether she lives to be 110 or 120, maybe, I doubt it. Or 200, I really doubt it. But one day she's going to die. And she's going to die whether she's, everybody's going to die whether they're 7 years old or 70 years old or 110 years old. Because the wages of sin is death. The Bible says, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty for sin. That penalty is death. I saw the other day, the Texas did what I wish Connecticut would do, and I'm serious. Texas has a death penalty, and they gave man lethal injection on Thursday. I don't know if you heard about it. And uh, for some reason, they, they reported on the news the next day. The three people he murdered they didn't report on the news about them in any detail when they died 20, 25 years ago. The little boy that he killed, and his older brother, and his mother. And they, they put him to death by lethal injection. And they recorded his last words. His last words were, I feel it. I hope he felt it. He murdered three people, innocent people. I think he deserved to feel something, don't you? You say, that's mean. There's a sting of death. There's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. In the specifics of the atonement, Jesus died. The penalty of death had to, be, had to be paid for. There's the, the penalty of death, but then there's the verse number 17. Notice it with me again of our text. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He has new blood flowing through him. Verse number 18. And all things were of God who reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled through the, 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 the atonement comes through the purging, of, purging by blood. While the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no remission of sins. The Muslim faith, I don't buy Hillel meat, by the way. I go to Waterbury quite often, and you say, well, how'd you get on that, preacher? Uh, we passed two Hillel shops on the way to Keith and Kristen's house. Now, you've heard of kosher with the Jews... You got hello with the Muslims. And hello meat is kosher meat, essentially, of the Muslim faith. And that means that that meat has been cut by the, the goat or where the animal has been, or the cow, or whatever it is, has been cut in the proper way with a knife, a, a spike knife up through the juggler vein, twisting and turning, and, and let the blood drip, and so the animal suffers because there's supposed to be an atonement, and there should be suffering. And blood should be shed and it should be violent. And so they have jihad. 
and they still have Allah Akbar, and they still, they're still killing people 1,300 years later since the inception of their evil religion. They do that because they're trying to atone for sins, their sins and our sins. Well, there's the purging of blood, the purging of blood by the Lord Jesus Christ once for all. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13 says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses. Let me explain. When Moses and the children of Israel were in the land of Egypt and they had nine plagues against Pharaoh, the tenth plague was the plague of the, first, the death of the firstborn. You remember the story. And God said, I want you to I'm going to give you a covering. I'm going to give you a protection. I'm going to give you an atonement that your, death, your firstborn do not have to die. After all, the soul that sins it shall die. And so I want you to take a lamb without spot and blemish, one year old, a male lamb. I want you to slit its throat. I want you to drain its blood. And then I want you to place it upon the doorpost of your, the top of the doorpost and the, the side lentils of your door, door, doorpost. And I want you to get inside that house. And he says, Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You see, a prerequisite, a requirement, a specific for substitution is, first of all, the penalty of death, but not only the penalty of death, the purging by blood. Blood is essential. Four things about that blood. First of all, it's shed blood. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats, or from the goats, and, it, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Notice that they were to kill that lamb. Now, I know I'm being graphic here, but that's on purpose. A little baby lamb, a little ewe lamb of one year old would be a Jewish boy's pet puppy. They were to take that lamb without spot and without blemish, and they were to slay that, they were to slit that lamb's throat, drain the blood. They were to burn the lamb on an altar. They were to eat the good parts of it and burn up the rest of it. And then they were to offer that blood. They had to do that. And it was shed blood. The Bible says the whole congregation of the Israel shall kill it in the evening. I want you to know just a fine point as we get to our New Testament theology. That the blood of Jesus Christ was not spilt but shed. You see, no man took his life from him. He willfully laid it down. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse number 4 that he was smitten of God and afflicted. And so we see that his blood was shed. He wasn't murdered, but he was sacrificed. And so we see this purging by blood that first of all was spilt or was shed blood, but then number two, it's applied blood. Now this is a theological problem that some people have, but I don't think they're just, they don't understand what the Bible says. In the Old Testament typology, again, in the Exodus chapter 12, and the, again, of the, the story of the firstborn and the, the, the blood being applied, it says in Exodus 12, 7, and they shall take the blood and strike it on the two doorposts and on the upper post of the door of the, of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Verse 13 of Exodus 12 says, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where ye are. And when I see the blood, 
I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. We have the song, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. It didn't matter who the person was. You could be here. I know murderers have gotten saved, by the way. I had many years ago, I, well, it's only happened one time, but I had somebody confess to me that they knew somebody that had murdered somebody. I couldn't prove it. I thought I should go to the place and so forth and so on. And, but the way I found out about it, it was, uh, I guess, I guess hearsay, I guess. And probably that person is dead now anyhow, to be honest with you. <clears throat> and I've seen the Lord save murderers, child molesters. He'll even save, he'll save drug addicts. He'll save, he'll, save, he'll save alcoholics. He'll even save good sinners like you and I, Right? He's not a respecter of persons. He says, he says, you go underneath that house and you apply that blood, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Didn't matter who the person was, Jew or Egyptian, they were saved. Didn't matter how bad they were, how good they were as such, they, how bad a person, they were saved by having the blood applied. You see, Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross. The thief on one side said, Lord, remember me. There's no account of the other thief saying, Lord, remember me. The one had the blood applied, the other never had the blood applied. So the blood of Christ, it's a purging power, and it's applied blood, it's shed blood, but thirdly, it's perfect blood. It's perfect blood. In First Peter chapter 1, how many millions of people, by the way, are trying to buy their ways into heaven? Remember being with the Blavas up in Quebec, just popped in my head. Remember going to St. Anne Beaupre, the great cathedral there in Quebec. See the hundreds of candles, hundreds and hundreds of candles, people kneeling down and lighting candles, and they had a little box there. $4 of Canadian money, you could light a candle. $8, you could light two candles. The Bible says... For it is not possible for as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation and your lifestyle received by the tradition of from your fathers. No amount of indulgences, no amount of lighting candles, no amount of prayers to Mary, no amount of uh, our Father who art in heaven can atone for your sins. What can for sin atone? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ, what are we redeemed by? By the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's perfect blood. Two things about that. Perfect blood. It's not, not animal blood. Hey, folks, we weren't, we're not evolutionary beings. We didn't come over millions of years. Don't try to marry evolution with the Bible. Can't do it. That was good preaching. Thank you. Somebody say amen. No, I'm just, I'm just an old fool. I believe that the earth is just several thousand years old. And I believe that God created man out of the dust of the earth. Call me crazy. I believe the Bible. We didn't come from animals. If you want to think we came from animals, get an orangutan's blood transfusion. Get an ape's blood. Get pig's blood. See how long you live. We didn't come from animals. And it's the blood of animals, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it's not possible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sin. The millions of animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament time, millions upon millions upon millions, not one animal could ever take away sin. It's just a picture of the perfect Lamb of God that was to come. 
So this perfect blood of Christ is not animal blood. It's not human blood. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All of us human beings are sinners. We're defiled. We're, but uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, if you want another verse, listen carefully what the word of God says. Take heed, Paul said. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Hear, hear me now. To feed the church of God, the church of God, the church of God, which he, who is that to? God, hath purchased with his own blood. You see, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he, the, the blood on Calvary's cross was that blood of the God-man, the, Lord, the divine, the Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord Jesus. He died on the cross as our kinsman redeemer, all man, but 100%, uh, completely, completely God, a perfect blood. But then fourthly, this, spill, this shed blood, applied blood, perfect blood, but Fourthly, this purging by blood takes place with sinless blood. Not just perfect, everlasting, eternal, but sinless blood. Christ, back in our text before us, verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled himself to us by Jesus Christ. We are reconciled by his blood. You see, one more time, so you understand, when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood... He shed his blood for how many of your sins? All of them. All your past sins. All your present sins. All your future sins. His blood was applied. And now he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation, the Bible says. Uh, we're ambassadors for Christ, verse number 20. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This sinless blood of Christ. You see, we have contaminated blood. We have corruptible blood. We have human blood. But when the substitute took place on Calvary's cross, I want you to know there was, we have this, this eternal, we have this perfect blood, this sinless blood that flows through our veins. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, for by one offering... He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. One offering. Jesus died on the cross one time for all our sins. He'll never have to die again. So in, in this little verse here, verse 21, it says that he became sin for us. Or to, or to, to be sin for us. It's the great mystery of all the ages. The great transaction of Calvary. It's inexhaustible in its depth. We preach year after year, week after week, uh, decade after decade, we preach on this substitutionary death of Christ. It should never get old. It's inexhaustible in its depth. We just to the lowest hell. It's irrational in its comprehension. Romans 11 verse 33 says it this way, that we preach the unsearchable riches of Christ can never mind the depths of it. It's irrational to the human mind. It's infinite in its cleansing. He cleanses us of all of our sin. It's impossible with mere humanity. No amount of human sacrifice could ever atone for our sins. And so we see this 
the, the specifics of our, this atonement, the scope of our atonement, when we get to verse number 21, and don't turn me off, hang with me. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's the exchange. He was made sin for us that we, might, we sinners might be made saints. Sinners made saints. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says it this way, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on him, the iniquity of us all. I won't go into great detail in my childhood upbringing in Ohio, but I will reminisce and I amuse again in my mind's eye. I go back to those teenage years when I went to church and I heard the gospel preached and when I was 15 or 16, we on Sunday nights, churches all across America, had, we had 7.30 services back in those days, most of our church did at least, 7.30 p.m. on Sunday night. 6.30 p.m. was youth group night. And Mrs. Bennett, the first Mrs. Bennett, most of you never met the first Mrs. Bennett. She's been in heaven for about 20 years now. Mrs. Bennett, she was our youth group director. We had 15 or 20 of us kids. And we'd come together for... And I've said it many times, I didn't come to church for the right reasons. I didn't come to, because I loved God. I'm always embarrassed to say this, but as a teenage boy, I came, to, I came to church for girls. And I came to church for sports. Really. And for fun. And they, we had fun. We went roller skating and we, did, uh, we had activities and so forth. And months of youth rallies and so forth and so on. I wanted to go to them. In order to go to them, we had to go to church. I got involved in the youth group. 15, 20 of us kids, and then it grew to about 20, 25 of us. And Mrs. Bennett would teach us songs. She formed a youth choir. We sang all over Northeast Ohio. I say all over Northeast Ohio, no joke, five or six or seven churches. That was a lot for us. We thought we were, we were a big-time uh, choir, of course. And I'll never forget the two songs we sang over and over and over and over again. She was a stickler, and she made us learn parts. Of course, I can't carry a tune in the bucket, of course, and so... Uh, and most of us boys couldn't anyhow, so she taught us either uh, the, one of the parts here, of course, in uh, bass or tenor, and we did the best we could. But the first song that we sang and we learned, and we would we sing two, two songs every church we went to. The first song was, what, I was going to sing it, I better not. <laughs> what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That was the first song we sang. We sang all four parts in four-part harmony, four, four verses in four-part harmony. But then the second song we sang, and I can hear it resonating in my head, was, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lead me to Calvary. Lead me to Calvary. And I got to learn, I love that song. In just a few moments, we're going to sing that song. I was thinking of a song that we love to sing, and we sang it last Sunday that Hearts were here a couple of weeks ago. It was their favorite song, that's why we sung it. I'm referring to it as well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. 
and I sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. We come to church primarily to worship the Lord. We come to hear what he did for us. The doctrine of substitution. Did you know that the Lord died for you? And whether you care or whether you don't care, he still died for you. Whether you're living for the Lord as a Christian or whether you're not living for the Lord. Hundreds of Christians, millions of Christians throughout America are not living for the Lord. Christ still died for them. Still paid the ultimate price. Gave, gave his blood. Exchanged his life for our life. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, I live in, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The doctrine of substitution, my substitute, his life for mine. What a God we serve. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, as we reminisce, Lord, on the table in front of me, we have words, this do in remembrance of me. When we take communion, we are to re re remember what you did for us on Calvary's cross. When we come to church, we are to remember that you died for our sins. He's the only one that could die, the perfect Lamb of God, the sinless Lamb of God. Lord, you didn't, you didn't, we're not murdered, but Lord, you, you sacrificed your own life. You, no man took your life from you, you laid it down for us. Lord, help us to be found worthy, we pray, by living our life as a debtor of Christ. We'll never pay you back, Lord. We never can even begin to pay the first dollar on the note. But Lord, you saved us anyhow, and we thank you for it. And by love, may we serve you. Pray you bless in our moments of invitation, we ask, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, 64 in the hymn book it is. Page 64. Let's come to an altar.